Welcome to this Maples Group Tax and Coffee podcast, where we discuss EU and international tax developments. I'm Andrew Quinn, I'm Head of Tax at Maples Group, and I'm joined today by my colleague Ted O'Byrne from our Irish law firm, and James O'Neill, who is Tax Principal at our Luxembourg law firm. We're going to talk transfer pricing and in particular focus in on the significant attention that the European Union is paying to transfer pricing and discuss the new EU transfer pricing directive proposed by the European Commission and if agreed that will come into force on the 1st of January 2026. It's a game changer. It'll bring in a harmonized set of transfer pricing legislation across the European Union. So let's dive straight in, uh, but let's start uh, at the beginning. James, I think a lot about the Roman Empire. If I was a Roman soldier standing on Hadrian's Wall back in the second century AD, how would you explain transfer pricing to me? Okay, Andrew, I'm going to do my best to put myself in the shoes of our old Roman centurion here. Okay, let me begin by simply saying transfer pricing is a mechanism for determining an arm's length for price in related party transactions. So as we all know, the, the, you know, the world has gone global and we've got multinational groups operating in, in multiple jurisdictions. We have investment structures, private equity, houses, all, all investing and operating in multiple jurisdictions. So transfer pricing is the mechanism that national tax authorities will require this arm's length price to safeguard their tax base. Otherwise, taxpayers have a tendency, if you will, to price their their, their transactions, will have a tendency to shift profits from high tax to low tax jurisdictions. And by requiring an arm's length price, this is a mechanism to make sure that national tax authorities maintain their tax base. And James, who's in charge of this internationally? Well, that's a really good question because if left to their own devices, I think national tax authorities would have a tendency to have very advantageous transfer pricing rules to perhaps have too much profits retained in their jurisdictions. So the requirement to have a harmonious set of rules as best as is possible operating between nation states is a fundamental requirement. And the organization that's by far taken the lead on that is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, commonly referred to as the OECD. And they have been passing transfer pricing guidelines for well over a few decades now, which are periodically updated. In fact, the OECD included um, transfer pricing as integral part of its base erosion and profit shifting initiative, what's commonly referred to as BEPS. And the focus there was a policy aimed at having profits attributable to where value is created. So high value functions, adding lots of value, transfer pricing rules should be set up where that those entities should be getting the vast amount of profits and entities creating low value services should only have a residual small amount of profit. And the second thing the OECD BEPS initiative focused on was standardized documentation for transfer pricing so that companies around the world, the same set of rules for proving 
that their transactions aren't. I think that's a key point, James, how the OECD uh, and, of course, its members, the G7, the G20 and, and, and the larger countries, see transfer pricing as absolutely integral to the perceived problem of base erosion, profit shifting by multinational groups. Ted, how about the EU? How, how have they got involved in, in the area of transfer pricing? Thanks, Andrew. So transfer pricing legislation is still the prerogative of the individual European member states. But we have seen the European Commission look to impose its own interpretation of the arm's length rules by bringing a number of really high-profile state aid cases. Listeners in Ireland will be familiar with the Apple case. Equally, we have the Amazon and Fiat cases on the continent where the Commission would have sought to challenge the transfer pricing methodologies that would have been adopted by those companies in their intergroup transactions. Now, the Commission has largely been unsuccessful in its attempts to impose its own version of the arm's length rule. And as a result, what we are witnessing now is the Commission is looking to take a more direct approach to influencing Member States' transfer pricing policies. Just last month, in September 23, the Commission published two directives. The first being the BFIT Directive, which is broadly a new harmonised tax system for multinationals and the TP Directive, which looks to harmonise transfer pricing rules and procedures across member states. Now, that directive, if implemented in its current form, would see a significant expansion in the concept of a group for transfer pricing purposes. We currently have a 50% test when assessing association and ownership when looking at interest between entities in Ireland. This directive would lower that threshold to 25%, casting a much wider net over in-scope transactions. It would, for example, now apply to joint venture arrangements. And those grouping rules would be in contrast to those which are contained within Pillar 2 and BFIT, altogether adding additional levels of complexity for the taxpayer. The directive will also impose a stricter approach to the arm's length range than that which is found within the OECD guidelines. And it actually imposes or requires a member state to make a transfer pricing adjustment where a transaction falls out of the interquartile range. Now, it does contain a carrot of sorts for the taxpayer. It outlines a streamlined approach to avoiding double taxation on transfer pricing adjustments. So currently, taxpayers are reliant on the MAP or the Mutual Agreement Procedure when seeking downward adjustments to income. Those procedures can be costly and time-consuming, so if available, this fast-track approach would be welcomed by taxpayers. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, look, it's certainly a very ambitious uh, proposal by the European Commission. The draft legislation runs to over 50 pages. The Commission has said that they expect that the directive will increase tax certainty, mitigate the risk of litigation and double taxation, reduce the opportunities for companies to use transfer pricing for aggressive tax planning purposes. So, as I say, certainly very ambitious. It already has its detractors. The Swedish government has come out quite unequivocally by saying that they think that global solutions are preferable in this area to solutions at EU level, as the latter could mean there are problems would arise vis-a-vis third countries. So very direct and critical there. Uh, This trend of the European Commission bringing forward 
tax directives across the EU, which must, of course, be agreed unanimously by the member states, uh, is is a fairly recent trend, but one that is um, increasing. We've had the EU anti-tax avoidance directives, which were very significant. Uh, the EU DAC 6 mandatory reporting rules, the several others in the pipeline, and this transfer pricing directive would again add to that and would be would be quite significant. James, how about in the OECD? What recent developments have there been? Thank you, Andrew. Well, in addition to the BEPS initiative we just touched on, the OECD has updated their transfer pricing guidelines as recently as 2022, so just a year ago. Also, just a few years earlier as well, the OECD published what we call Chapter X or Chapter 10, which is a focus on transfer pricing for financial transactions, which are highly relevant for countries like Ireland and Luxembourg where we have so many investment structures and financing structures in place. Thanks, James. Yeah, and look, you, you and I were chatting earlier, you know, transfer pricing, I suppose, is something now that is embedded across the tax system. We're seeing features of transfer pricing crop up in other areas. In Ireland, uh, it's important that when a company is trading uh, to get the benefit of our lower corporation tax rate, 12.5%, that we meet certain Irish requirements as to substance and governance. My feeling now is really that the transfer pricing position that that company is in will actually often influence many of those points. So we don't just look at this in the context of Ireland, but rather we look at the overall transfer pricing position of the, the company within the group. On Shell, James, we, we were discussing, you know, has certain features as well um, that are transfer pricing related. Yeah, that's an excellent point. So if we go back to the Unshell Directive podcast that Maples did earlier this year, uh, there's there's a lot of overlap. Uh, now, in the Unshell Directive, the European Commission is concerned about companies that don't have economic substance and they are, quote, shell companies, unquote. Well, if you look at it in a transfer pricing context, Three fundamental areas you normally look at when you're doing a transfer pricing documentation are the assets, the risks, and ever importantly, the functions that the particular entity is performing. And if you don't have the right board of directors, you don't have qualified persons involved in that company, you're not going to have economic substance to support the transfer pricing. So they go hand in hand, it really dovetails. A company that doesn't have economic substance is going to flunk the Unshell Directive, just like it's not going to be reflective of any transfer pricing study attempting to allocate profits. Remember we talked about earlier, the OECD's focus on policy for transfer pricing is aligning profitability where value is created. And if there's nothing but a shell company in place, how is value being created? You know, um, back when I started... Uh, several years ago, transfer pricing was more a function of assets and risks. And yeah, back in the good old days, you could have an, an IP rights company located in, say, Bermuda with zero personnel that was only assuming entrepreneurial risk. But I think those days are over. And for robust transfer pricing, you really need to focus on the human element and what's being performed at the entity. Sure. Ted, switching back to Ireland, transfer pricing is is relatively new in Ireland, but can you give us a, a feel for, for what type of transfer pricing issues um, we're seeing? Yeah, a lot of the changes would initially be driven at OECD level, which would then filter down into Irish legislation. 
as you noted, it is a new concept in Ireland. It was introduced in 2010. However, it was limited in scope at the time to trading transactions only. Now, there was an ex- a significant expansion in scope as part of the Finance Act 2019, extended to non-trading transactions. And again, in 2022, to bring our legislation up to date and in line with the 2022 OECD guidelines, But as you can see, there have been a lot of developments over a relatively limited space of time. And I think typically where we come across transfer pricing uh, in our day-to-day for aircraft leasing structures, we would often be considering the debt equity levels or the level of capitalization in a structure. Equally, we would look at the margin retention in a holding or a treasury entity. We would be analyzing interest rate support for interest group loans, intergroup loans, as James touched upon, substance is becoming more and more prevalent. We're advising clients on the level of substance that is required across a number of structures, uh, be it asset owning or trading entities in an aircraft leasing context. For Section 110 investment entities, we are considering the management fees across the group. Equally, intercompany guarantees provided to sister companies is a key focus. For IP, we now have specific legislation on the purchase and sale of IP. And again, uh, an increased focus on the substantive factors like headcount or physical presence being in place in order to support uh, revenue generation intangibles. We have also uh, seen examples of auditors being quite focused on ensuring that IP acquisitions are appropriately accounted for. There is also a new trend, Andrew, of um, audit letter requests. The letters would focus on ensuring that our structures are in compliance with TP requirements, which we would commonly assist with. We have seen the Irish tax authorities have expanded their staff to focus on TP. They have hired from industry and they're becoming more and more confident in challenging existing transfer pricing structures. And in light of that increased focus, we've seen clients look to manage risk by way of entering into advanced pricing agreements or APAs. An APA would be made in advance of a transaction. It will be between a taxpayer and the respective tax authority. Now, where agreed, they would be binding for a number of years, which can provide an element of certainty to a taxpayer in a cross-border transaction. Revenue, for their part, again, have expanded in their capacity in the area. Last year, we saw 28 new APA cases brought to revenue and 37 cases completed during the course of the year. Thanks, Ted. And same question for you, James. Um, could you take us through transfer pricing in Luxembourg and the type of issues that you face on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing to mention about Luxembourg is we've already adapted the OECD's arm's length principle into our tax code. So going back to this draft directive in Sweden's complaint, uh, maybe that direct directive is overkill because my experience is just like Luxembourg, most other countries are already applying OECD transfer pricing guidelines. Now, that being said, what are the areas of focus? Well, Luxembourg being a financial center, we've got no shortage of holding companies. So what's very hot on the market is interest rate benchmark studies to the extent these holding companies are debt financed. Also, new on the block are what we call debt carrying capacity analysis, which are replacing the administrative practice, if you will, of the 85-15 debt to equity ratio. And that's based on OECD's chapter X on financing transactions that we touched on earlier. Also, we have a lot of cross-border financing within multinational groups and investment groups. And in that context, we would have a functional analysis or a company so engaged 
where we determine the equity at risk and arm's length margin. And ever important, going back to this economic substance point, is what are the functions that this entity is performing? Make sure that the directors have credibility and they're actually performing their function in Luxembourg at director meetings where they're, quote, managing the risk of the financing activities, unquote. That is quite often the focus of Luxembourg Tax Authority information queries and field audits. And in the third point I'd like to mention in this respect is exactly that. What is the Luxembourg Tax Authority focused on right now? Unquestionably, it's transfer pricing. We're seeing, and I don't want to say extreme, but I might as well say it, focus on the transfer pricing documentation that Luxembourg companies have or don't have. And it's really a tale of two cities. If the tax authorities these days, they'll, they'll approach a company, they'll see there's debt financing or cross-border financing or service fees, what have you. They'll ask for transfer pricing documentation. And nine times out of 10, if it's in place, it's compliant with OECD transfer pricing guidelines. They'll say, thank you very much. And that's all That's all they'll ask for. But unfortunately, we do see cases, not necessarily, not our clients, but they, they end up being our clients where they have not gotten appropriate transfer pricing. And unfortunately, they get in a bit of trouble and they could have unfavorable tax assessments and other not so very nice consequences. So the message from that is tax authorities are quite focused on transfer pricing documentation and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and just having your transfer pricing documentation in place from the beginning. Thanks, James. Yeah, I think I'd kind of sum that up, and this will apply equally to Ireland by saying, put transfer pricing on the agenda when first setting up a structure. Maybe it doesn't apply, but have it on the agenda and make sure the documentation is in place and um, is robust. We like to say to clients to look at a health check every few years. The official guidance is to look at updating documentation once a year, but really to do that every two or three years should be well sufficient, won't cost as much naturally as the original transfer pricing report, so it could be done very cost effectively, but very important to do that. So yeah, I think that would be my sort of practical takeaway in terms of action points in looking at new structures and looking at keeping existing structures fresh and making sure the documentation is um, is up to date. Ted, finishing up, um, looking into your crystal ball, how, how is transfer pricing going to develop in Ireland over the coming years? So the direction of travel for the scope of TP is only really going one way, with significantly more arrangements coming into scope in the near and medium term. With Pillar 2, we are finding that there is no such thing as materiality anymore. If a multinational makes any internal transfer pricing adjustments after the completion of the consolidated accounts, this can raise issues in the context of the calculation of their globe income and their effective tax rate calculations. Another interesting new development, which we find to be increasingly relevant for clients, is around the ESG space. So ESG has been driven by regulatory requirements as well as investor preferences. EU regulations like the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive and the related European Sustainability Reporting Standards will all involve robust tax compliance and transfer pricing procedures. So pledge to be mindful going forward. Thanks, Ted. Same question to you, James, looking forward. 
It's the same story in Luxembourg. The direction is only going one way, just like in Ireland. Uh, you know, recently we had our first transfer pricing tax litigation cases that were published. And fortunately for the taxpayer, they had robust transfer pricing documentation in place and won the case, just like Amazon won the case against the European Commission. So the takeaway from there is have your transfer pricing documentation in place, just like you said, Andrew. As part of the planning phase, it should be on the checklist of things to address. Maybe it's needed, maybe it's not, but please have it reviewed and then have it periodically updated. You know, Luxembourg, just like Ireland, remains a superb location as a platform for international business and global investments. But now until kingdom come, transfer pricing is going to be an integral part of doing business here. So, you know, in a nutshell, get the TP documentation in place and update when appropriate, and you'll be in good shape. Got it, James. Thanks. Yeah, look, just to wrap up, I mean, my call on this EU proposed transfer pricing directive is that it is likely to happen. We've seen some proposed EU tax directives falter, uh, such as the DEBRA, DEBRA, Debt Equity Bias Reduction Directive. That seems not to now be progressing but I think this transfer pricing directive is a reasonably easy ask um, of the member states. We'll see. But again, yeah, my call would be that um, this, this is something that can very well be agreed between the member states and would see the C implementation in due course. So look, thanks, uh, Ted and James. Uh, that was a great run through of transfer pricing in Ireland, Luxembourg and the EU. Some very practical points there. Thanks everybody out there for joining us for this Tax and Coffee podcast. Please do like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts and keep an eye out for our next Tax and Coffee podcast. And with that, all the best and bye for now.